When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've got a few things to say to you. Basic stuff first. Never cruel or cowardly. Never be cruel, never be cowardly. Honestly, do you have music playing in your head when you say rubbish like that? Never be cruel and never be cowardly. And if you ever are, always... Pull to open. Pull to open. Yes, and what do you do? You told me the name you chose was a promise. What was the promise? Advice and assistance obtainable immediately. Officers and cars respond to urgent calls. Pull to open. Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, the only ongoing quest to watch all of the television series Doctor Who in random order and occasionally take side quests. My name's Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal. And yes, we are on a side quest, a side trip, something on one of the many sides of our time ship. Many uh, sides. Usually the many six, sides although, of our Doctor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think in Legolas they said, the TARDIS said 37 dimensions. And this is this is one of ours. <laughs> Rule number what one: What is one of ours? Instruction manual lies. <laughs> uh, what, what, this is one of our side trips into the question of the Doctor, the uh, the, the line that, that Terence Dix came up with to define the Doctor. And if you know anything about the the history of this, you know that Terence Dix came up with it in a making of Doctor Who book in the seventies to define the Doctor's character. Hold on, Chris, one second. Who's yeah. Terence Dix? Who's Terence Dix? <laughs> the famous Doctor Who writer, uh, co-author of, of uh, The War Games, which we've covered, uh, and uh, writer of, I think, literally every Target novelization, uh, probably even <laughs> the ones not under his name. But yeah, that that guy. And uh, so, Yeah, he, he, was, he was script editor for a long time too, editor. right? And he he was uh, uh, involved as early as the Troughton era, and uh, and and throughout the whole of the sort of the the, the classic series going forward from that. Um, Arguably, anyway. classic Who's most prolific writer. Yes, uh, for so the series he had a, a good you know position to be in 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 terms of a show that was was just sort of drawn together week to week and you know the the lore and the canon of which was basically drawn on the back of a napkin uh terence sticks who helped come up with the time lords uh really has uh you know more more authority than most on this question of who is the doctor and he defined the doctor as being never cruel or cowardly and never gives in never gives up now, right and but it's never actually stated on screen in the classic series, correct? Correct. correct. Right. It does make it into the curse of fatal death <laughs> because <laughs> once Stephen Moffat had been ta- paying attention, and then when Stephen Moffat became the showrunner, it was famously in Day of the Doctor, which we've been to. Uh, and uh, you you remember, of course, Pete, the scene that the uh, that never cruel or cowardly is first uttered by the Doctor. You know what? Why don't you? Of course, I do, Chris. Why? Why don't you describe that to the to the viewers at <laughs> to the, home? To the folks at home. Well, Clara says that the name the Doctor took meant something. This is when they are about to destroy Gallifrey, and Clara reminds the Doctor that she, he's just told her what the name the Doctor meant—the name that you choose. It's a promise. What was the promise? Never cruel or cow- cowardly. Never give up. Never give in. Uh, and they say this together, right? Tennant and Smith and uh, John Hurt. And, you know, that that's as close to making something canon about the Doctor's character and the Doctor's desire for his own character. Uh, yeah, it's almost like they reach out of the show mm-hmm. and grab Terrence Dix's show Bible yep. and pull it in. And it's like, oh, yes, that's what I'm supposed to be. But here's the thing. One, one of the lines, one of the words, never cruel and cowardly, is doing a lot of lifting. And that's the word never. Um, <laughs> mm, yes, and uh, Moffat did later recognize this by adding uh, in in Hell Bent he added the line uh, "Never call a cowardly," and if you are, always make amends, which is sort of a recognition that no, nobody, and certainly not nobody, but anybody with a doctor's lifespan can can go around being never cruel or cowardly. He's not God, and and he certainly hasn't even going 
all the way back to the first season and the yeah. first adventures. I mean, actually pretty famously or rather infamously, the doctor was written in the early days, almost as an anti-hero yeah. in, in many ways. And we'll, we'll talk a bit about that because what we want to talk about here is the evidence on screen of when the doctor was cruel or cowardly. We've looked at all the show and we've sort of picked out 10 moments, uh, 10, decisions mm. that the doctors made in his uh, time. And uh, we think we've got 10 of the most notorious. And yeah. just so everyone knows, like pull to open, we are a random podcast that randomly goes around the doctor who canon. We've tried to limit ourselves to shows that we've done for the podcast. We've done roughly a third of mm -hmm. the adventures of, of the stories up to that mark, yeah. um, because that's kind of enough of a sampling for this. We found obviously we've seen more than we've already done for the podcast itself. And there are other moments we're going to mention as we go through the 10 that we think are, are the most uh, exemplary examples of this. Yeah. Um, the we doctor maybe... essentially falling off the crew and cowardly wagon, but um, there may be there's, there's... that we've thrown in uh, that we haven't been to just because it's right. so egregious and it sticks in our head as as Doctor Who fans. But yeah, this may be something we'll revisit in the future once we have all of the evidence uh, assembled and and once we've seen. Yeah, though though I think as we were looking at them and the ways he is been he or she has been uh, cruel or cowardly, they sort of fall into broad categories. And I think yeah. some of the ones we haven't done will be sort of represented here by the ones we talk about. Definitely. Uh, one other rule I want to get out of the way, we're going to exempt or give the doctor essentially a pass for some of the things he's done just after regeneration when he's clearly not himself. Mm. And I'm thinking obviously very directly of uh, the sort of again, another infamous scene where the sixth doctor, Colin Baker's doctor, strangles Perry in twin uh, the twin dilemma that would definitely qualify but mm -hmm. I think it's very clear he's not really himself in that scene. So we're we're kind of giving that, and by extension, anything that sort of happens more or less in a regeneration episode, kind of a pass. So yeah. another good example is Spearhead from Space. He sort of tries to ditch Liz and the Brigadier almost immediately once he has access to the TARDIS. Very kind of a cowardly move. But again, right. he's he's really not himself at this point. He's just regenerated doesn't yeah, know what he's we'll, doing so we'll take it as read that the doctor's man flu as we now know to call it after hellbent uh is uh, is incapacitating enough that he can't stick up to his you know he can't live up to the principle that he chose the name for uh mm. so yeah you know there may be a strangled companion here or there it's fine it's fine nothing to see here <laughs> um good god yeah the twin dilemma has not aged well has it um did yeah, it, so, I think it didn't age well about five minutes after it was broadcast. <laughs> you kind of want uh, Time Lord CPS services to kind of come in at that point and be like, sorry, sorry, Doctor. <laughs> We're from the Companion Protective Services. Uh, yeah, and no, that's no, man flu is not a defense for strangling your <laughs> companion. I'm sorry. Anyway, yes, we'll, we'll pass that exemption. That's fine. Um, uh, but we have made a top 10 list because we are Doctor Who nerds and that's what Doctor Who nerds do. They make top 10 lists. We make lists uh, and spreadsheets, but let's get into this list. Let's get yep. right into it with yep. our 10th uh, item on the list, which is basically a theme of series eight. So this yep. is Capaldi's first season. And as everyone remembers, there was Danny Pink in that season and Capaldi's doctor would constantly call Danny PE and dismiss him as a PE teacher yeah. because, well, I don't know. Well, we'll get into because, but like he just sort of didn't like Danny, I guess. And yeah. it's kind of a, it's kind of a mean thing to do. So it's Capaldi calling Danny PE is number one on the list. This or sorry, number 10 on the list. Number 10, we're counting down. Uh, this is definitely not the most cruel or cowardly thing that the doctor's ever done. However, it is definitely one of the things in the new series that stuck in my craw the most. Because, you know, mm. other other new Who doctors have kind of been a bit capricious towards the boyfriend of the companion. You know, right. I'm thinking of Mickey Smith, who who definitely mm -hmm. did not get his definitely. due from the doctor. Uh, doctor, you know, the doctor's even been uh, jealous of uh, Louis XV in, uh, in uh, Girl in the Fireplace. Like, he just doesn't take yeah. male rivalry very well. And then he calls a maths teacher P.E. Um, because yeah. he was a soldier. 
I guess. Um, but it always just stuck in my craw and always felt like they'd somehow accidentally imported part of the Malcolm Tucker character that Peter Capaldi played in uh, The Thick of It uh, yeah. in, into the show. It seemed like something Tucker would do, not the Doctor. So, yeah, did, did that did that stick out as much for you, Pete? It did. It, there, there's something just mean about it. Like, uh, the nicknames are fine, uh, but they're only kind of fine if they're done with kind of a, a certain amount of familiarity yeah. and a certain, like, uh, affection to them. And this is clearly the opposite. So, yes, identified exactly what it is. He's got this sort of jealous thing going on. And... Uh, and I think partly because of the way, um, God, I forget the guy who played Danny Pink now, but the, the actor was a very likable actor yeah. and he played him in such a gentle way. And it, it, it was kind of like, you're really hitting someone you shouldn't be. Like, it makes me not like the doctor, particularly because yeah. the doctor's a freaking time lord. You're already got, uh, going to live thousands of years. You have superpowers, you have a time machine. Why do you have to denigrate someone? who is just kind of a normal human. And, yeah. Name, uh, uh, by the yeah. way, Samuel Anderson uh, played Danny, Danny Pink. There you go. And, Thank you. Uh, he's so, in, you're right, he's so inherently likable that even the fact that I've just discovered he was born in 1982, uh, <laughs> born like uh, halfway through Peter Davison uh, and is just impossibly young. Um, you still can't. And I, you can't hate You him. brought up Mickey, and I, I think there's a good parallel here because mm-hmm. I think the way that Mickey's written in that arc, um, Cap- not sorry, Cabaldi, Eccleston warms to him fairly quickly. Yeah. Like at, by the end of that first two parter with world war three, uh, and, uh, the Sladeen, he's warm to Mickey and even invites him on the TARDIS. But Mickey is still sort of in the middle of his arc. He's not quite sure he wants to do that yet. Uh, so, so it, he like this is the thing about Eggleston. He's he's sometimes cruel, but he catches himself. And we noted mm. this a little bit when we did the Unquiet Dead. He sort of knows when he's gone too far. Uh, here with Capaldi, he seems to have you know taken a step back from that sort of self awareness. He's a little more alien throughout Series Eight, and never really comes around on Danny. Mm. In it, it seems maybe in the final episode, arguably sort of when he's dead and there's all this stuff with the Cybermen, but. Yeah. Once, once he's a corpse inside a cyber suit, the doctor's fine with him. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, you just kind of have had whatever it is, 11 or 12 episodes of not really liking him mm. and, and or this aspect of him. And I didn't I don't think it served Capaldi's doctor well. It was one of those things of Series 8 where, you know, they were trying to do sort of this more mm. alien thing. And in some ways it kind of worked, but in a lot of ways it didn't. And this is definitely one of the ways it didn't. Definitely a step too far. I, I sort of wonder if uh, Scottish Stephen Moffat uh, was enamored with the idea of Scottish Peter Capaldi saying B-E in a Scottish accent. Because uh, I guess that sounds funny in a Scottish accent. Anyway, let's move swiftly on to number nine on our list, uh, which is we're going all the way back to the Sensorites. We are repping the William Hartnell era in which he was kind of cruel or cowardly. Now, it's, it's fair that Terrence Dix uh, kind of might, might have meant this to refer to the Doctor, the present-day Doctor, and uh, probably knew full well that, that Hartnell was kind of written as kind of, kind of a jackass. By the way, I'm going to call any breaking of the cruel or cowardly rule a Dix move by the Doctor. Um... <laughs> But uh, so the Dix move that uh, William Hartnell did that we've selected for our number nine is in the Sensorites, uh, where if you remember, the Sensorites are very sensitive creatures, very sensitive to loud noises. And the doctor deliberately shouts at them uh, and then is mean to Susan, his own granddaughter, a bit of a bit of an abusive granddad in the Sensorites. Uh, Pete, do you remember the, the exact circumstances of that? Yeah, he's really shouty at her. So throughout, like it's actually happens a couple times in the Sensorites that Susan basically is not quite rebelling, but she's doing things on her own and making some mistakes. And Hartnell is kind of berating her for doing them. And he gets a little shouty at her and it just comes across as really mean. Now, you know, you kind of have to correct a little bit for the time. I mean, it was the 60s. He's supposed to be this grandfatherly figure. Uh, and, you know, then in season one, and I sort of mentioned this earlier, Hartnell's doctor was was written a bit as an antihero. And I think he sort of warms a little bit through the season. And they rightly found by in season two going forward, they they leaned more into his 
um, you know, is being wise and, and more gentle. But I mean, even going back to the first episode of Doctor Who is, is just like arguably kidnaps, you know, uh, Ian and Barbara and then gets the whole thing going and, and puts the ball in jeopardy. But all of that you could sort of forgive is like it's sort of setting up. We don't know this guy. But by the time of the censorites, which is really like it's it's almost closing out the season. I think there's mm-hmm. only one more. I think the Reign of Terror actually closes it out. But this this is like they should sort of know better at this point, particularly since they are the very first scene in the censorites is them sort of talking about what all the adventures they had and how they're starting to become a family. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so, yeah. And so then the, seeing this sort of meanness uh, come back in Hartnell is a little, I would argue is a little more jarring in this particular episode. And he, he is not, he does not come across well with, from it. And it's, it's jarring in contrast with the censorites who are yeah. portrayed as a, you know, sensitive, if oblivious to certain things species. So it's, it, again, it's that contrast. It's like with Danny Pink, the contrast between how kind of cool and upstanding a, a bloke Danny Pink is and how the doctor treats him is makes it worse. And it definitely makes it worse with the censorites as well. And it makes it worse with Susan, like your own granddaughter, dude, you're supposed to be, we're supposed to be nice to our grandkids. You let the parents berate them. Yeah. You might think that, you know, she obviously leaves a few stories later and maybe mm. this is part of the impetus. It's like, yeah. okay, <laughs> I just got to get away from this jerk. Yeah. And once again, he, he leaves her right. in a kind of a, uh, kind of a mean way by locking her out of the TARDIS. And that's actually a good segue into our next <laughs> item. Yeah. <laughs> Which is he often the doctor, and this is across of multiple doctors, but we'll zero in on a few will, leave companions in ways that are emotionally cruel. So, you know, we just mentioned Susan, but the one that really sticks out to me is when he essentially abandons Tegan in time flight. Right. And we talked about this in our podcast at the time. There's arguably a, I'm breaking up with you before you're breaking up with me (laughs) component to this because Tegan is now back in modern day at Heathrow airport. Always wanted to get to Heathrow. Yeah. Right. And And he's just kind of like again, by the way, in next week's episode on Arkham Infinity, (laughs) where we will see the other end of this, which is how casually he just sort of, uh, like I accept Tegan back on board. Like there's, it's not even mentioned what an ass he was by just abandoning her at Heathrow without a goodbye. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that seemed mean to Tegan. I mean, she definitely at the end of time flight can, it's clear that she was not expecting to be left, Mm. uh, which you kind of wonder what that sort of does to a person, this sort of wondrous life that they were sort of really starting to love and then uh, cutting it off from them. Um, So, you know, there's, there's been variations of this throughout. Yeah. So if you look, we've done there's there's, there's uh, Joe in the green death. Would be yes. the other one that we've done, and uh, the way the way that the doctor—I mean, he does sort of go. To, he goes to her party and then he skips out, right? That's yeah, the, exactly. The like she she done. consciously leaves him there, so it's not the same thing as Tegan. She she is saying like, "I'm not mm. going to be with you anymore," but then he just kind of ditches everyone. You know, That's he right. just ditches he it ghosts. completely, and does, yeah, he goes to the place, even though the brigadier and uh, Captain Yates, who clearly. <laughs> there's clearly a moment there where he's not feeling great because he thinks he's mm-hmm. missed his shot with Joe. Yeah. At least that sort of seems how it, how it, how it's written. That's right. Uh, but he stays. Yates out. Doctor should take Yates out for a drink if he's going to leave. Like, you know, at least like pay it, pay it for it. You both just drown your sorrows over Joe together. Yeah. Yeah. And most yeah. recently I'd say he, there's a definitely uh, elements of this in the power of the doctor when she just, yeah leaves Dan. I mean, again, it's another, it's not as overt as the Tegan thing because Dan is again, voicing that he wants to leave fair Mm. enough. But then the doctor just like, okay, whatever. See ya. Yeah. And Dan's just like, what the, that was cold. (laughs) And again, that's part of the story, right? Cause there's stuff going on there with her, particularly with Yaz, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it is, it is a little, uh, little, little cowardly doctor to be, to just ditch people and not, I mean, yeah, yeah arguably he does it to Sarah Jane, like his, you know, his longest serving companion. Uh, he just, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, he drops her off in what turns out to be Aberdeen, but like, A, no sticking around to make sure it isn't Aberdeen. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and then he's just like, oh, can't take you to Gallifrey, bye. Which, 
by the way, we we know from him taking other companions to Gallifrey since that you absolutely can do that. It's like just the it's the lamest I'm breaking up with your excuse. Yeah. Uh, possibly in all of Doctor Who. And you know, I'm gonna add one here. Perry. Okay, so mm-hmm. what happened to Perry has always been a little bit weird and unclear in many ways because of the whole way the Trial of the Time Lord was written. But it seems like he just takes the word of someone that, oh, she's fine and she married so-and-so and is just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I guess I don't have yeah. to do anything. He never checks up on her. Uh, never is like, okay, like, did that work out for you? Do you want me to take you back to Earth? I, uh, and and I you know what? He's even sort of pre-acquired a, a new girlfriend from the future to get himself over <laughs> Perry. He's like, I'm, I'm going to get over that relationship by bringing the next relationship forward in time. <laughs> <laughs> right like that's the only explanation really for what's going on with Mel. thank right. you for i don't even have to meet her and explain the tardis <laughs> is bigger on the inside it's just we've already done that boom wow, wow. talk about like not <laughs> not having time to like sit with it and marinate and and go over the breakup and have therapy and all of these things are supposed to um all right so those, those deeply are, unhealthy those which... are unhealthy emotionally cruel emotionally cowardly and and uh that so is the next one in our list, right? Uh, which is in a class of its own. Yeah, it's kind of in a class of its own. It's it's and it's different from. So you know, we we've covered the not saying goodbye. It's kind of a thing you're supposed to do with friends. Supposed to say goodbye mm-hmm. when them, uh, especially for a very very long time, and so that they don't have to go have companion therapy as we know they all now do. And the power of the doctor, I think, not just because real life is boring. I think because the way the doctor treats them. But here she is. Uh, in and it's in Legends of the Sea Devils, a story that we've just uh, recently done, where uh, the Jodie Whittaker Doctor basically says to Yaz that she cannot have a relationship with her uh, mm-hmm. because reasons, because <laughs> it's going to end. Uh, okay, I mean, so that is arguably cowardly. Now there are other examples of this, like perhaps most famously, famously, uh, David Tennant's Doctor not telling Martha that he basically wasn't into her, not, not right. letting her down. Um, but you could just argue that that he was that was not being cruel or cowardly. That was just being oblivious. Uh, right. The doctor just didn't realize that Martha was into her, and he was hung up on Rose. Uh, you know, and he tried to tell Rose how he felt about her, you know, at least made some effort in that incarnation. But yeah, his, his Jodie Whittaker's incarnation just saying, eh, it's going to end, so uh, let's not start it. Yeah. Yeah, especially because she clearly has feelings. Like, if you're taking what the doctor says to Yaz at face value, which I don't know why you wouldn't, she seems to have strong feelings for Yaz. And there is, there, there's something there. And she just says, well, we're not going to do it. And I'm making this decision. I mean, you know, she obviously she can make whatever decision she wants, but it is like, I, I think that's just cowardly and a bit cruel to kind of like, well, why don't we still travel together, even though we can't be together? Yeah, uh, I, I think she knows. Like, yeah, it's going to end soon, but uh, I, there's nothing really noble about that. It just feels yeah. like the noble thing would be to do it anyway. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, we said it at that, the time. That's what we all choose to do in our relationships every day. Yeah, I, exactly. You don't. No one knows what the future is, even if you are a time lord, and you, you know, you. <laughs> You got to grab life when it's happening, dude. Exactly. Uh, carpe diem, doctor. Carpe diem. Yeah. All right. That's so, definitely cowardly. But definitely cowardly and definitely uh, kind of ditching, yes. But we have a bigger ditching uh, in, in our next item, which uh, many people might put as their number one most cruel and cowardly moment. Yeah. This is a moment from Kill the Moon, and it is when... Capaldi, the 12th Doctor, ditches Clara and the Earth Mm. in the end sort of climactic bit where Clara has to decide whether to kill kill the moon, (laughs) like destroy this egg that is apparently the moon, Mm. or not, and potentially risk everyone on Earth. Yes, uh, now you might say this is a cruel and cowardly moment on the part of the writers uh, to to us in the audience, the basic knowledge of science. Uh, the, the whole of Kill the Moon is is uh, very cruel. Good God, so cruel. <laughs> so cruel. How dare you? <laughs> and crueler than anything the Doctor could do within the episode. But still, it is presented as, you know, the, the moment where Clara decides she cannot travel with him anymore. She basically, she gets so furious 
at him. So furious that she can't even break up with him, basically, as as Danny Pink, uh, who is an awesome guy and shouldn't be hit with a Monica P, uh, points out to her later in Kill, Kill the Moon, and that sort of forgotten end to the episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, is it really that cruel or cowardly because he knows that, you know, the, uh, the, uh, he knows that according to the dumb science of the show, it's, it's not going to cause any problems. Except yeah. I mean, it, again, we talked about this at the time, but it's never really clear because he seems to want to have it both ways, which is, you know, uh, time can be rewritten. I don't know what's going to happen. Anything could have happened here, even though the future is as I've already seen it. Or uh, he does know, and it's like, you know, there's a, I know how this is going to turn out, and I'm just going to let you figure it out. Uh, Whichever one that is, it just feels like it's sort of wrong for the show. And I think Clara sort of rightly sort of recognizes that, and that, like, you don't just peace out, dude. You don't get to do that. Like, Mm. even if it is something that the Earth folks really kind of need to sort out for themselves, like, just ditching everyone just it, it's just mean it's just like what are you doing it really is and you know what i'm, I'm going to throw in an honorable mention here we've got a few honorable mentions that we're going to uh throw in at some point this this one just came to me um rose uh, in father's day like just just taking her to see her dad like that like what, mm. what do you the, the way that uh Eccleston's doctor just sort of kind of says uh, oh yeah all right then sure <laughs> let's go see your your dad dad before he died and we'll hide around the corner and absolutely nothing could possibly go wrong uh yeah i don't think um i don't think a therapist would tell you that that's actually a good idea and certainly a expert in the laws of time would not think you so. know i like Again, father's day as a story so yeah I, i'm going to i can still like the story and sort of recognize the truth of what you're saying which is to say that really just seems like a bad idea. It just seemed like that there was, as I recall in the cold open, there is a little bit of that discussion of like, you sure you want this and sort of Mm. trying to work with her, but you're, you're not wrong. (laughs) And I think it's just, I think it's pretty clear. Like that would be a really bad idea. You should not want to do that. Yeah. Uh, It's just basically getting her to tick a box on the indemnity form of like, you know, is (laughs) <laughs> the emotional indemnity form you you absolve the owner of the TARDIS from any uh, emotional fallout or damage to the t- space time continuum. Um, anyway, so, how anyway how can our listeners avoid damaging our space time continuum? Yes. Yeah, so before we get to the top five in our list, I would love to invite everyone listening if you enjoy Pull to Open, whether it's our regular random journey throughout time and space, or these interludes and video essays that we do. Um, hey, why not leave a review of the show in whatever podcast app you're listening to? Or, hey, subscribe. That's a, a good thing to do, too, if you're not already doing that. Uh, there's a follow button probably on whatever app you're listening to. Uh, do that. But reviewing the podcast really, really helps the show, increases our visibility in the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you happen to be reviewing it in. Uh, that would be really, really great. Also, you can follow us on social media, we're at Pull to Open 63 on Twitter. Well, is it Twitter? Is it Twitter? <laughs> it's on X. Yes. It's Twitter. X, formerly known as Twitter. We will always yeah. be calling it Twitter. I'm just going to say yeah. that. Right so on Twitter, X, Threads, Facebook, and Instagram, all the networks except for TikTok, which we, of course, are Pull to Open, all one word, no 63. All right. And you can review us on Spotify as well and also rank the, usually rank the random episode that we're going to. Uh, and answer questions, which uh, presumably there will be under this podcast. That's right. If you don't uh, do any of that stuff, you're obviously cowardly. No, kidding. No, I would never call our <laughs> our readers, our viewers, okay. cowardly. You guys are awesome and I know you're pressed for time. And to, with that in mind, don't, moving on to number five on our list. Number five on our list, which uh, again uh, from uh, a recent episode, maybe it's just because he's recently seen Legend of the Sea Devils that we are pulling examples from it. But this is perhaps the most recent example of something the Doctor often does, which is letting other, you know, the the characters that we've met for you know the length of an episode or two, just take the hit. Uh, yeah, you know, sacrifice jump themselves. in between the things, hold the thing that needs to be attached to the thing so that the thing blows up, sacrifice themselves in some way. The doctor is often far too willing 
to let people do that. It's like, oh, okay then. I'll never forget yeah. your memory. See ya. Uh, and I gotta say, with, to, uh, yeah, Jody Whitaker in particular that has has at least two moments like that that are just so egregious and so like clearly part of the story. Like, like they're just so in your face that it, it mm. feel like she's the probably the biggest violator of this. Which is there's the one we just mentioned in Legend of the Sea Devils, and then there's in the Timeless Children. There's Co Sharmus who essentially runs into the right. Citadel on Gallifrey at the end where all the cyber masters are doing stuff and the master's there. And he, there's, I forget exactly what's happening, but there's something that's going to blow up the place and the doctor needs to activate it. And he's like, no, I'll take that. You go, you run. I'm going to, and he's, she's like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> like, yeah, awesome. Sure. Another sacrificial lamb. The doctor lives on. Yeah, at least with Russell T. Davies, and to some extent Moffat, they he struggled with it. You know, like there's the whole thing in Journey's End where you preach peace, doctor, but you turn people into weapons. You know, at least they're making some lip service out of this and sort of like maybe I shouldn't be entirely okay with it. But Whitaker just seems like, yeah, man. Yeah. Like you you, then, you take that. Just, yeah, it's um, you and me. Let's get in the TARDIS. We're off. <laughs> the one thing we just took from Flatline, our most recent adventure. Uh, was was that Clara was able to avoid this trope with Riggsy, uh, who who wanted right. to sacrifice himself in the train? She was able to put a hairband on the dead man switch instead, uh, showing that perhaps the Doctor should a carry more hairbands, um, and b you know use something else in his pocket. Jesus, um, you know, so often this is just like holding two bits of a thing together, while so the thing blows up, right? How many times mm. have we seen that? How many times has the doctor let someone die doing that? That is arguably very cruel and very cowardly. Yeah, man, just hold the wires. Just hold it. Um, okay, so moving on to number four on our list. So there was a scene in Dalek in the first season of the new series with the Chris Eggleston doctor and... Basically, he wants to kill this defenseless Dalek that's already been shown that has it can't do anything to him. And he activates sort of the electricity and he just starts torturing it. And probably if it kept going, it would have killed it. Now, it's a Dalek. So it's kind of like, OK, there's 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 sort of a almost kind of a given that you know, it, it, it's a little better to kill Daleks, I guess, than humans. But it's also established, you know, that the, the best moments in Doctor Who are when the doctor recognizes that they're a sentient species and that killing them is not, uh, is you sort of become just as bad as they are. Now, again, that's the theme of the episode. It's a great episode, but there's no question. This is a time where he's very, being very cruel to, uh, to another being. Yeah. And you could argue, yeah. Okay. PTSD, whatever. Um, Mm. but you could also argue, no, dude, this is basically, you're basically set up in the same situation as Genesis of the Daleks. As far as you know, this is the only Dalek in existence. You Are you going to genocide right. this, this species that you decided in your fourth incarnation had some worth somewhere down the line? Uh, like, be, be consistent. Um, and yeah, yeah. torture is just, just never seems like a, 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 a doctor uh, value, right? Uh, yeah, I will say. Inherently cruel and cowardly. I like how this is mirrored in uh, the Daleks in Manhattan and mm-hmm. uh, evolution of the Daleks because there is the final scene where Dalek Khan is now the last Dalek and right. uh, the uh, tenant's doctor comes up and doesn't do it. Basically, he says, I'm not going to cause another genocide. So I like that bookending of that. So yeah. that you have the scarred yeah. Eggleston doctor and then tenant further along, wiser, older. Yeah. Um, that 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 really really works. Yeah, yeah. We could we could argue that uh, I'm going to give an honorable mention to the uh, what tenant does to the Empress of the Ragnos in um, uh, in Runaway Bride, right? Uh, which in which kind of needs Martha uh, uh, Donna to stop him to pull him back from the edge. Um, but yeah. He, yeah, definitely really, a moment. Definitely a moment. It definitely shows how the the new Who doctors can be a bit more cruel and cowardly sometimes, perhaps because of their time war PTSD. Um, and, and definitely uh, need companions. Speaking to... of the tenant doctor, mm-hmm. yep, 
exactly. Speaking of the Tenant Doctor, so here's one that we haven't actually covered yet, but it's so it's so egregious and it so sticks in your head that that we couldn't we couldn't ignore this one. And uh, you're probably thinking of it yourself. It's from the Family of Blood, um, Human Nature slash Family of Blood. That that Tenant two parter is based on uh, well regarded book, Human Nature. Uh, where basically the, the doctor's beaten the family um, right. and uh, he, he decides to punish all of them. And, and here's what he does. I've got the, <laughs> I've got the, the full list pulled up. So the mother, uh, he pushes her into the event horizon of a collapsing galaxy. The father, he wraps in unbreakable tra- chains, uh, again, arguably torture, uh, traps the daughter in every mirror in existence which I didn't even know you, the doctor could do that, um, and suspends the son in time before putting him to work as a scarecrow. Now, <laughs> maybe this worked better in the novel. <laughs> maybe that's what it was drawn from. <laughs> but certainly when you watch it in the show, it's a bit of a, whoa, doctor, what kind of moment. Did you have that experience watching it? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think they sell it, and it's not totally insane but there is a tonal shift and you kind of go like well wait a second this is sort of diabolical kind of joker level planning you're doing for each and every one of like he's he's crafted as cruel (laughs) resolutions for each and every one of these basically personalized cruelty for each of them which is I, i get they're bad people but surely there was some other thing you could do. I mean, they, you know, I know the Time Lords are gone, but we've talked about the Shadow Proclamation and whatever else. Mm. Like, there must be something you you could have done that was maybe a little bit more humane. Whether you know, we've seen yeah. that prison now, Storm, uh, what is whatever prison it was, and uh, the Whitaker uh, stuff oh, yeah, with Jack Harkness, the, the thing that's not Stormfront, uh, yeah, yeah the, the, the place where River is. Um, but yeah, yeah, arguably now you could say, and I'm sure if the doctor has a team of lawyers to come in and sort of try and explain away each one of these, they would probably, uh, first of all, point to the regeneration exemption and try to claim that his uh, transition, uh, back from John Smith and which he thought he was human, um, for the, for the duration of the previous episode, uh, would, would sort of like put us into regeneration exemption territory. You know, mm. it's like, oh, he, he wasn't quite himself. Like, this is a strangling Perry Mo- Like, he was he was taking human levels of revenge rather than the Doctor adhering to his code, right? He was doing this as John Smith. Uh, yeah, and even if that's possible, but even if you argued against imprisonment, be that these guys are too powerful or they would get out and the Doctor needed to figure out some other way to do it, well, why sort of separate them in this way and have these sort of very sort of creative punishments for each and every one of them. doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. Like why couldn't you put them all trap them in the event horizon of a, of a galaxy? I don't know. It just seems like strangely, uh, strangely specific. Yeah. It's strangely specific. And it's like, he's just sort of sat down and like, you know, been like Arya in Game of Thrones and like gone through a list, not of not of names of people he has killed, but like possible punishments that would be supremely cruel, you know? Sounds um, like a master thing to do. <laughs> like doesn't sound like a doctor thing to do. Yeah, and it's interesting because perhaps you could you could argue that this is sort of an early echo of Time Lord Victorious. Right? Uh, yeah. Speaking of another close. I, I think that. honorable mention, by the way, Time Lord the whole Time Lord Victorious thing from Waters of Mars arguably uh, cruel to uh to take the the members of the mars mission back and uh, not not let them die on mars as they were supposed to like it's you know well, the, the the leader of the mission certainly feels so yeah and also cowardly about his position as last of the time lords and what responsibility that might have yeah, and that, yeah. and that that's associated with that like he's just being cowardly just doing whatever he wants which you mm. know that, that's what dictators do um okay so getting close to number one but we are at number two on the list and it's from hellbent and it's the bit where the 12th doctor murders a fellow time lord yeah and there's no real other way to say it is there i mean you know it does it does um that this is the one that's really sticks in my craw like this this is pe times a thousand 
uh, from from the Capaldi era. I can't get over it. I even wrote a story about it in uh, in uh, Mashable at the time uh, in my review of Hellbent. It's like this: not only does the Doctor murder a Time Lord, he um, he he does it with a gun. Yeah, which is so anti-Doctor and so anti-Capaldi. Now he does, of course, say how many regenerations are you on? Uh, and of course, the uh, the the Time Lord in question immediately uh, regenerates into a uh, a woman of color, and and gets up and says, "Oh, I'm fine. You know, it's just all of you men. This is just the man flu. You know, how could you stand being in a male incarnation?" So it's, it's Moffat doing his best to sort of try to treat it like it's no big deal, but it's a freaking yeah. big deal. It's a freaking big deal. I mean, can you imagine the flip the script? Doing that, someone doing that to the doctor and how outraged we, everyone would be, uh, you know, it's like, you can't, you don't just kill a person like the regenerate, like, yes, they survive, but it's also you, as Tennant said in the end of time, right? Like one of the better lines is like, oh, I, I die. Some other person saunters off with all my memories. Mm -hmm. Like this is, it's a big freaking deal. No, this is murder. Like it, would it be, wouldn't it, would it not be murder? Yeah. Uh, as Tegan says, eight times over to rob him of all his regenerations and modern undead. Indeed. That's what it is. Indeed. And and we've also seen, like, it, is it entirely clear and sure that Time Lords will always regenerate? Because there are a lot of Time Lords dying in, for example, Ark of Infinity, uh, who don't regenerate <laughs> when they get True. shot. So maybe that isn't that, you know, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's 99 times out of 100. That's still, you know, that 100th possibility. You might kill them. Uh, yeah. that, that would be cruel or cowardly. It just it it's never worked for me. I don't think time has been kind to it. We didn't like it when we uh, came back to rewatch Hellbent, even though we kind of liked the rest of the episode a lot better. It just still sticks out like a sore thumb. It does, yeah. The the killing, no, <laughs> not no, good, not good, very not cruel, with not with a gun. So speaking of killing or not killing in this case, the number one. Well, wait item, a second. Wait a second. Before we get to number one, let's uh, let's just do oh. a quick rundown of some uh, some other honorable mentions. Okay, we'd like to throw in stepping here. back from number one, backing <laughs> step, away. Step back away from number one. Be patient, uh, folks. <laughs> so we we got some examples. We already mentioned unearthly child. Uh, right. Do, he seems to consider killing Ian in that, or no? There's a there's oh, a caveman. I think it's uh, honestly it's yes. been so long, but basically yeah. he he's considering killing one of the uh, one of the cavemen right. to sort of escape to the TARDIS, and That's Ian right. sort of stops him. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's one of it's the probably the most antihero moment of the first season, mm-hmm. and again, it's the first episode, the first story. Like the Doctor has not, we haven't really even established what this show is and who the character is. So they're figuring it out. But like in hindsight, like, holy cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we were speaking of shooting. I'm going to run, jump around in our list of honorable mentions. Um, speaking of the, of the Capaldi doctor shooting a time Lord, uh, he makes bill shoot him in uh, the lie of the land. Just, That's to, true. just to do that regeneration trick. Uh, just right. Yeah. Just testing her. Testing her to prove a loyalty. Uh, yeah, it's an honorable mention because, you know, you could argue out of it that he really needed to do that. And he certainly does in the episode that to really test her loyalty and push her yeah. to beyond these these limits and uh, get her to really believe that he's betrayed the earth. So fair enough. But again, still kind of a cruel act. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, we've got some other examples. Uh, he kills the David Bradley character. Matt Smith kills the David Bradley character in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, basically. Yeah, basically, and kind of delights in it. So the whole thing is that David Bradley's ship now has this the bomb on it, and Matt Smith essentially ditches him, and the ship blows up, and he's pretty happy about it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's not even like an attempt to sort of extend hand and like come with me or whatever. It's just, you know, okay, you've been bad and you're, you've nearly killed everyone. So we're just going to, we're going to ditch you and let you die. It's, it's definitely like a moment. Yeah. Yeah. And there's suddenly a really doctor moment was in the unquiet dead, uh, which we've been to recently where the Eccleston doctor tells Rose to get used to his morality, which means in in this case, get used to the notion of the Gelf coming into Earth, 
taking over our corpses and just sort of walking around in them. Just get mm. used to it, Rose. Uh, okay. Yeah. We talked about that at the time. Yeah, it's very it's very within the Ninth Doctor character, and he's the PTSD, he's snapping at people, but he does sort of come back around. They sort of make up at the end where there's to talk about how uh, glad they are they met each other, but he is very dismissive of her and her, I would say, correct opinion about the uneasiness about you know letting these creatures inhabit bodies. So yeah, not not his best moment. Um, one that I wanted to sort of throw in, even though I've said already that we should not penalize doctors for how they behave in regeneration episodes, at the very end of the twin dilemma, I'm sort of making an exception to the exception because one, he's pretty much fully regenerated by then, but also it's emblematic, I think, of the Colin Baker doctor, uh, certainly in the first season, of just what a jerk he is. And he's just kind of a kind of a dick to I forget the guy's name. I think it's Hugo, mm. uh, who's been helping them the entire time. And Perry berates him for it, like, "Hey, you you're kind of a jerk here. That, that was not okay to just be dismissive of him." And he goes like, "Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm an alien, Perry. My my manners and stuff are totally different. Like, it honestly, he sounds like unfrozen caveman lawyer yeah. in that moment where he's like, everything's so weird. Your manners and kindness, like, what even is that? It's like, no, you're just a jerk, dude. Like, you know, we've uh, like, and, and Barry should like call him out on that once she's met some time lords. Like, hey, wait a minute. You, they're actually kind of nice and you're the asshole. So, yeah, because, yeah. you know, you obviously, you know, the, Colin Baker made a choice to play him a certain way. John Nathan Turner supported it. Yes, he he was going to be more alien, arrogant, and kind of a jerk at times. Uh, in the first season, they certainly went probably a little too far with that and were sort of feeling around, and uh, a lot of it doesn't work. So, yeah, hmm. definitely definitely a bit cruel there. The Colin Baker Doctor in his early in his early days. Yeah, if only if only the Peter Davidson's Doctor had never met Commander Maxwell. I uh, might not have turned into an asshole after his regeneration, but we will get to that. We will get to that discussing Ark of Infinity next week. Right now, it's time for our number one most cruel, cowardly moments slash approach to life in the TARDIS that the Doctor takes that you know that arguably goes against his character, and it is this: it is the fact that the Doctor never ever kills the uh creatures and and enemies that he has the opportunity to kill uh we're going to reference the master as yeah the, ma- the master is number one on this list in yeah. my view and on the sort of sub list of things the doctor should do um should consider uh just killing because the, he's had opportunities because there, there are clear opportunities where the master uh is in his power and it, it doesn't even it doesn't even necessarily the doctor that's uh, could kill them. So I'm thinking specifically the time monster. So the time monster sort of grabs the master at the end of that and is going to take. I forget if uh, Kronos is either going to kill him or subject him to eternal imprisonment and torture. And the doctor pleads for his life, and what happens is. Uh, he escapes, of course, and mm. gets out. And the thing is, there's there's several of these opportunities that sort of happen throughout. And the doctor never makes, seems to n- almost never make the hard choice of like, the master should die because uh, there's certainly, if they live, there's certainly going to be more death. And there is yeah. every single time. And the, and one, the, only, exception, the one, exception? one exception is Planet of Fire, where he lets the master die. And I talked about that at the time and the reversal of that and the problems with that. But it is one of the reasons I I kind of like that story is that is the hard choice. That is the not cowardly choice Mm -hmm. in my view. Whereas the other times I feel the doctor is cowardly because yes, it's going to be hard to kill the master. Yes, you're compromising your own morality in a sense. But think of like there are just so many people who will live if you make this very hard decision. Yeah. It's, it's a trolley problem, admittedly, you know, but instead of there being like uh, five person, five people tied to one track and 10 people tied to the other, it's like one person tied to the track versus millions 
millions right. on the other. I mean, the, the, has anyone ever tried to come up with a complete list of people who've been killed by the master or miniaturized or their lives otherwise made worthless? I mean, it's a long list. Um, and yeah. arguably, you could you could extend this because, of course, we we've mentioned it briefly. Genesis of the Daleks. The Doctor had the opportunity to wipe out the Daleks before they began. And yeah. honestly, I've never really bought the argument that there'll be some some glimmer of a good thing in the dim and distant future. Some good reason for them to survive. It makes sense in the context of the episode. I think. I think Genesis of the Daleks is brilliant, but never never bought it myself. Always yeah, would have would have touched the wires yeah. myself. You got to get really philosophical on it, <laughs> and that, like you know, there, if there, there's you allow great evil to be born, a great good will sort of inevitably counterbalance that at some point. Uh, and maybe that happened, and maybe it didn't, and maybe you know we're living that out in this series now. But mm. there's certain episodes, uh, certainly Journey's End and the Stolen Earth, argue that's not the case because the Daleks come very close to actually annihilating all life in the universe. Yeah. Um, again, you'd have to get pretty philosophical by saying, well, the doctor's the force of good here. And maybe that that's the thing that kind of balances them and why they don't succeed, I guess. Why not just, <laughs> why not just get rid of them though? <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's pragmatically, it just seems like the better choice. The great, the great thing of this being number one is, uh, if you disagree with us folks, you can just flip it and say the doctor actually killing the master in planet of fire is the cruelest thing he's ever done. True. Because the doctor won't not even when the master says won't you have mercy on your own dot 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 the doctor's not even like pausing for a second and being like wait what my what what are you again (laughs) (laughs) what's our relationship (laughs) maybe we should say this definitively once and for all before i kill you yeah that that seems does seem cruel or cowardly there if you take the opposite approach and say that the doctor should never have wiped out you know even come close to wiping out the Daleks or even, you know, uh, you say that it's right that the doctor should save the master. Well, then planet of fire is your example uh, has to top the list in the other direction. Yep. It is. It is a nice little two sides of the same coin. And that's <laughs> actually where we're going to leave it by flipping this coin. I want to qualify a lot of our comments here though, before I go by saying that the drama of the story is really what matters most. Yeah. And even though these are questionable uh, decisions on the doctor's part, when you put it vis-a-vis his philosophy, the fact that he's a complicated, complicated character, the fact that he sometimes compromises that philosophy for the sake of the universe or whatever is happening is actually a really good thing. I like my characters complex. I like my characters... Uh, I like my shows interesting and I like things that are hard. I like hard drama and hard decisions. So none of this should be taken as a criticism of the episodes themselves. It's really just kind of pointing out these moments where what happens on screen doesn't align with uh, the the doctor's stated philosophy. And that can sometimes be a good thing. Mm. Although I'm, Yaz and others might disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, anyone who's been dropped off by the Doctor in Aberdeen might, might disagree. But yeah, it's uh, it's an ongoing debate. I think this is something we may revisit uh, as we continue our random journey through Doctor Who. The random journey that continues every week on Pull to Open. And uh, we will be joining you next week for our random adventure to Amsterdam in Ark of Infinity. Pete, any last words before we let the good folks go? No, I will not be cruel or cowardly to them. Guys, thanks for (laughs) listening. This has been great. Follow us on the socials. I won't repeat it all here. Just Google pull to open. And of course, like and subscribe. Bye, guys. See you next week.